Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Subral. In this episode, we're going to get a bit philosophical and talk about that most abstract but important elements of society, freedom. More specifically, we're going to focus on how freedom and the potential for freedom to be taken away influences sports gambling or daily fantasy sports in the United States. And joining us to discuss this is someone with deep knowledge and plenty of research publications in sport consumer behavior and motivation, particularly in the area of fantasy sports. He's Associate Professor of Sport and Entertainment Management at University of South Carolina. It's Stephen L. Shapiro. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, Vitor. It's good to have you. And I think it's really interesting that you had to put the L in the Stephen Shapiro because I, I wouldn't think it's a common name, but you know, you did need to differentiate yourself some, from some other famous people. Right. Yeah. There's a famous author and uh, I'd like to take credit, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but can unfortunately. So I throw the L in there just so people know. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, we're glad to have the great Stephen L. Shapiro here. <laughs> Stephen and co-authors Yoris Dreyer and Brendan Dwyer recently published an examination of consumer reactance to daily fantasy sport and sport gambling regulatory restrictions. Now, Stephen, I think it's fair to say that sport gambling, and, and I know in the United States you have daily fantasy sports as well, has absolutely exploded in recent years. I don't think you can watch a sport event without being inundated with sport gambling advertising. Why was it important, though, for you to research this from the perspective of freedom and freedom restrictions? So um, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things that really caught our attention when we first started, and it's kind of a, a long time coming, we've been doing this work probably over the last five or so years, was daily fantasy sport probably in 2015 or so exploded onto the scene in the United States. Fantasy sport was already popular, but this new game, Daily Fantasy, allowed you to rather than having uh, teams that you put together over the course of a season, uh, which is typically played with friends in a small setting, daily fantasy sport allowed you to play on a daily basis, changing your rosters and playing in a way that allowed you to put more, on, more money on a game uh, or, or a day of games more easily. So the, the one thing that caught our attention with daily fantasy is it was set up a lot more like gambling. Traditional fantasy sport, even though people gamble on it, is really uh, a more, like I said, a smaller scene um, where daily fantasy allowed you to bet uh, against people you didn't know, get into large pools that could potentially win you millions of dollars. And shortly after it exploded on the scene, states started to look at it in terms of, is this gambling where traditional fantasy sport is exempt from any gambling uh, regulation. Daily fantasy was more of a, a potential concern. Uh, and so some states started to restrict daily fantasy. And this is where we got this, this idea. If states were going to restrict this activity, were there going to be individual people that feel like their freedom is taken away? And so we started looking in the literature and there's a lot of literature on all different types of topics in terms of if your freedom is taken away, are you more likely to, to want to take, take part of an activity? Um, that was the starting point. I guess just for the non-American audience, uh, daily fantasy sports, I, I believe, for so, uh, kind of gets you around restrictions on gambling in sport and gambling, which is isn't allowed in some states in the United States. Is that right? Sure. And yeah, in the United States, and, and actually, um, as we go through this, uh, it's it's really interesting what happened over the last five years because we've had huge changes in sport gambling regulation, and it's becoming legalized in many states. Uh, but prior to that. Sport gambling was 
illegal in most parts of the United States, except Las Vegas and just a few places in, in the country. Fantasy sport is exempt from, from that or was exempt from, from any of that, those restrictions. And daily fantasy sport kind of sat in the middle. It's not really gambling, uh, but it acted a lot like gambling because you could go on uh, every day. You can have a, an account and bet money. Uh, you could bet against people that you don't know. It's not just friends and family. It's anybody you want to bet on. There was large sums of money that could be won. And so the difference between traditional and daily was really not just the structure, which is you could change your team every day and, and compete instead of having season-long competition, but it was uh, a lot easier for people to, to bet on um, uh, daily fantasy. And so uh, in America, uh, it caught a lot of attention from regulators in terms of, is this more like gambling than it is traditional fantasy, which is, was exempt from those restrictions. If you go down future a few years after, uh, which was around 2018, the Supreme Court in the United States actually overturned an old law restricting, uh, which was a federal restriction of sport gambling in general and allowed individual states to make a decision. And so some of these restrictions that got us uh, motivated to do this study kind of became moot because states could just legalize daily fantasy was legal anyway. So that kind of led to us having two parts to the study, a daily fantasy part and a, a part on sport gambling in general. Well, it sounds like it kind of worked out because it gives us a, a broader view of, of this topic. Yeah. The research is based in, in psychological reactance theory. And of course, when I saw that, I thought, of course it is. Now, but can you just tell us a bit about that and why, it was important, why this theory is important to look at um, this topic? Yeah, so psychological reactance theory, it's been around for, for several de decades. And the idea behind it is when somebody's freedom is restricted, and, and that could be by government, that could be by a company, that could be by your parents telling you something, Anytime some, an individual's freedom is restricted, uh, they tend to have a adverse reaction to it. Um, I always use the example of a parent telling a teenager, you're not allowed to go out after a curfew or you, know, you shouldn't smoke or you shouldn't drink. And then all of a sudden there's more incidents of that happening. There's this natural reaction to uh, want our freedom restored when it's taken away. And so that, that theory really kind of opens the door to investigating a lot of these regulations that government puts in, in a variety of contexts. Um, one of them is marketing. Uh, there's a lot of regulation in marketing. It may be government regulation. It may be corporate regulation uh, that restricts how we consume things uh, and our freedom to be able to do that. And we see a lot of examples of this psychological reactance within the marketing area as well. So it kind of gives weight to reverse psychology. If you do want someone to do something, tell them not yeah, to do it. Absolutely. We've seen it heavily used in the form, in, in marketing, in the form of scarcity, uh, where you tell somebody there's a limited supply, uh, the offer's only going to last for a couple more days, uh, you're, you're not supposed to be using this product in, in a certain way to you know, motivate people to want to use it in that way. Um, there's been a lot of mar marketing strategy on restricted supply of products, scarcity that, that have been really effective to, to kind of use psychological reactants to the benefit of, of companies. So when you're going through the literature, how did you see this relating to, to sports gambling? Like I said in, in the beginning, when we looked at daily fantasy sport and saw the natural restriction that was happening in various uh, parts of, of the country in the United States, that we felt that 
it would be an interesting time to study because it was an, almost a natural experiment. There were some states that were uh, allowing daily fantasy to be played because fantasy sport is exempt. There were other states that were discouraging it. And then there were other states that were actually putting in regulation. And then when the Supreme Court uh, overturned the, the longstanding ban on, on sport gambling, the same thing happened. There were certain states that said, well, we're not going to overturn this. We want to keep uh, elite, more conservative states wanted to keep sport gambling illegal. Other states were looking into it. And then there were states like New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware that, that jumped right ahead and, and, and legalized the practice. And so in some ways for both daily fantasy and sport gambling, it was a natural experiment to look at people that were in areas that the activity was legal, the activity was discouraged, or the activity was illegal, and see how that affected their consumption habits. And from that, you developed a couple of hypotheses. What were you thinking that that would happen from from your research? Yeah, so the previous literature says, um, as we were saying before, that if you're you're restricted from an activity, particularly an activity that you enjoy doing, uh, that you would want that freedom restored. And so our hypotheses in general were that uh, when the scenario occurred in your, your situation where we provide the scenario that this activity was either being taken from you or it was discouraged, we felt that there was going to be a stronger uh, desire to participate in the activity, uh, both sport gambling and, and daily fantasy. And, and so uh, that was our kind of our initial hypothesis. There's also a measure of consumer reactance because not all people act the same when they're restricted. Some people are more okay with the, the restrictants and others react more heavily. So we use that measure to, to try to see whether people with high reactance tendencies were more likely to want to purchase in certain scenarios or, or participate in certain scenarios with daily fantasy sports and gambling compared to those with low reactance tendencies. And then our last hypothesis was, does that reactance measure, that, that higher low level of reactance, does that moderate the relationship between the restrictions and your intentions to uh, engage in the activity. So essentially we wanted to look at the effect of placing restrictions or not on these activities and how that would affect reactance and ultimately your intentions to, to participate. So you, you've done all this and then of course you see the, the laws changing and your ideas are like, well, we weren't expecting that. How did you react? Like what, what was your thinking then? Oh, we have to do this whole thing again? Or did you have a chat about, well, how can we use what we've already got? Yeah, so I think this is a great example of kind of how research occurs in, in a natural setting. You, you have this whole plan uh, and then it blows up in your face, basically. So we had this daily fantasy plan and, and it was a kind of a perfect setting. And then when, this, uh, when the Supreme Court overturned uh, the longstanding uh, federal ban on, on sport gambling, it was like, well, daily fantasy is legal now. So, you know, it's not, uh, not going to be as, as regulated. At first, we were a little bit discouraged by that, but then we felt like, well, if we add a second part and look at sport gambling, then we kind of have both sides of the coin. We have this whole idea of daily fantasy maybe being considered gambling or or possibly not, depending on how you view fantasy sports. And then we'd also have uh, individuals' perceptions of gambling in general. And we still have this natural experiment going on, even though states are within their rights to legalize sports betting, not all states are doing it. So, so we still have this natural kind of setup where there was gonna be places that have restriction, there was gonna be places that are thinking about 
uh, legalizing. There's going to be places that have already legalized uh, both activities and it, it kind of gave us a more comprehensive look. Uh, so we tried to turn what seemed like a bad situation into to a, a better study, hopefully. Making lemons into lemonade, as they say. I think in the United right, States right. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Now, how did you go about measuring this, um, you know, taking away restrictions and uh, or freedoms and, and giving it to people? Yeah, so we, we used a scenario-based situation where we told people to envision themselves in, this, in, in a situation where the activity was now restricted, the activity is highly discouraged and was going to be restricted in the future, or the activity is legal. Uh, we basically set it up as an experiment where you were exposed to a scenario and then you had to basically tell us your attitudes and intentions based on that scenario. Was there anyone that just completely lost it and went, I can't believe this and threw their stuff away? <laughs> well, we've definitely had people uh, in the survey do that. This is one of the reasons that we did this with a panel, an online panel. And, and one of the, the, the benefits of, of doing that with working with a, a, a panel company is that you can get way more respondents than, than you need. And you can throw out the people that aren't running, they're not going to be um, participating in the experiment the way that you would want. Um, also, we used a manipulation check to make sure that they knew they were in an illegal, discouraged, or legal group. So we can kind of put them in that mindset. It's, you know, an experiment in a lab online setting is not as good as a natural experiment, but I think we tried to set the tone as best we could to, to get people's impressions based on the scenario we gave them. So what did you find? Did it uh, adhere to, to your hypotheses? There was some partial confirmation of, of hypotheses, but overall we found some contradictory results. The biggest one being that for both the daily fantasy study and the sport gambling study, it was the, the legal groups that uh, had the highest intentions, significantly higher than the discouraged or the illegal groups. Um, and, and so that's in, in a lot of cases, contrary, particularly the marketing consumer reactance literature that says if something's taken from someone, they're going to want to restore that freedom. So uh, it was interesting to us to see that, and especially when it was confirmed in the second study with sport gambling, to try to figure out why that was happening. Our, our main thoughts on that were, um, there was a couple things. We thought, first of all, the reason that perhaps the legal group had higher intentions is that some literature says that hard restrictions, so government restrictions that make something illegal, are gonna have a stronger, a more, I guess, mitigating impact or reducing impact on those feelings of reactance versus something that is uh, discouraged uh, or information about its, uh, the negative components of it are, are put out to, to consumers, but it's not illegal. And so we kind of felt like, all right, well, maybe people being told that this is an illegal activity was, was stopping them from doing it. Uh, another thing is that, that both daily fantasy and sport gambling are available in illegal forms. They always have been. Um, even when these activities were regulated or in this case of sport gambling, when it was banned across most of the United States, you could bet online very easily. You could bet, you, know, you could get a, a, a bookie a legal bookie in bet. And people did that all the time. So uh, we felt that that might be, there might be some confounding effects there because it's not really a completely restricted activity if I could just go ahead and do it illegally. And so there was a number of kind of environmental factors that we think may have been playing a role in, in this situation where we don't feel like 
perhaps we've completely contradicted the reactants, the previous reactants literature. So how does this advance our understanding of, of the topic of, of psychological reactance theory and, and sport gambling? I think there's a number of things. One is uh, looking at an activity that people tend to do illegally anyway. So when, when you look at something like perhaps, you know, drug, drug use or, you know, other activities that there's still an avenue to partake in the activity um, from a gambling perspective, uh, there's certainly those avenues. I think we, we learned from a practical perspective is just understanding the fact that individual people are going to enhance their overall consumption of sport. That was really what drove us to this to begin with. We do a lot of research on sport gambling in general as a complement to traditional sport consumption. So how does it affect your normal fandom? You're already a fan of a team. You like like to watch a sport. Does sport gambling enhance that? Does it change it in some way? Does fantasy enhance that or change it in some way? And so this was just another layer to that, to understand how people react to restriction that might ultimately affect their overall consumption of the sport product. And what we found is, you know, people are still, whether restricted or through legal means, they're still finding a way to participate in these activities, which increases their overall sport consumption. So from a practical perspective, I know the NBA is, is really pushing for, for sports gambling to be, um, I guess, easier to do. From a practical perspective, do you think that's a good idea? And how can sport organizations take what you found to help them and, and also the society? Yeah, um, I think there's a number of things, certainly uh, just in general, and this could go beyond sport gambling, but as states uh, in the United States uh, start to legalize and regulate, because one of the things I think is interesting here is it's not just a matter of making an activity legal or illegal, it's how you can bet how you can participate. For instance, with sport gambling, some states you're allowed to bet, uh, they've legalized it, but you have to go to a sports book and do it in person. Other states allow mobile apps um, and FanDuel and DraftKings have really jumped in the forefront of that to develop apps that allow you to bet and uh, people can do it from, from their living room. And so I think it's not only whether an activity is legal or illegal, but how it's gonna be regulated can really impact uh, ultimately a consumer's uh, level and intensity of the activity and how much they consume sport in general. So from a practical perspective, I think leagues and states for that matter uh, have to understand how consumers will be affected by these regulations. On a base level, you'd think a state might just say, well, we're going to legalize betting because we're just going to generate more tax revenue from it. But it has bigger implications than that in terms of how consumers are going to consume sport and ultimately, um, you know, how much money is going to be spent in that, that area. One area I find from, from my perspective, mind blowing is that in a lot of the world, I'm not sure in the United States, you can just bet on basically any sport event, amateur sport events. Now from your understanding, is that problematic? We, we know about, you know, sports corruption and things like that. We actually done a podcast on it. Take a listen to it. It's great uh, on sport corruption. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure that has an impact on it, but from your perspective, How do you deal with that and what can be done for making sure that this doesn't get out of hand? Right. And and I think that's one of the things that's important too. We've tended to look at it from the role of gambling from a marketing perspective, but the reality is it's much more broad than that. When you have gambling on sport, there's no question that there's, there's scientific evidence that there's gambling addiction. And so there's individual people that are going to, especially as this becomes more freely accessible and, and easy Uh, You don't have to go anywhere. You can just do it from your couch. 
people are going to become addicted to it. They're going to lose money. Whose responsibility is that? Is that a uh, government's responsibility to protect people from doing that? Is that leagues and teams, all these entities that are benefiting from gambling activity from a financial perspective? Is it their their role? You know, what are they doing to protect people from addiction? The other side, you brought up corruption within sport and basically understanding that one of the most important elements of sport is that we think it's fair, that we think it's not already, the, the results aren't already written. And so anytime gambling comes into play where individuals might shave points or uh, get involved with the outcome of games, taking away that uncertainty, that really can have an impact on overall interest in sports. So there's a real risk there. And so ultimately, to me, I think sport gambling can be beneficial to the, the sport landscape in general. Uh, I'm not looking at it from all those negative perspectives, but there has to be a balance. If you're going to benefit from, if you're a league, if you're a team, if you're a uh, state, if you're a, a federal government, if you're going to benefit financially from, from gambling, it's up to you to make sure that people are protected from it, the consumers protected from it, and ultimately the league is, uh, is protected in order to, to kind of balance the, the pros and cons. So it sounds like the main idea out of all this is balance. Freedom restrictions, sure. balanced sport league and gambling, balance. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's the idea behind it. Um, there's certainly going to be regulation, uh, but it has to be within, within balance. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you're bound to have people upset and it can affect uh, the overall dollar. Thanks so much, Stephen. It was a fascinating chat and, and a really interesting topic. Yeah, thanks, Vidor. I, I really appreciate the opportunity and, and we're excited to see the, this article in Sport Management Review. And I'm sure many people will now be excited to read it. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, an examination of consumer reactants to daily fantasy sport and sport gambling regulatory restrictions from Volume 23, Issue 5. That's it for this episode, but take a look. There's plenty more that you can download to your favorite podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.